And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to episode 7 of the Lace Them Up podcast. I'm Stephen Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And this is, as we said before, a very important uh, edition of the podcast. We're going to start with some uh, interesting news out of the OHL. We don't usually talk about the OHL that often. Um, We're going to get to some very juicy news about the Flint Firebirds. So we're also going to talk about Connor McDavid getting hurt because it's uh, been uh, big news all week and how the Oilers are going to do without him in the lineup. Uh, Also, Patrick Kane will not be prosecuted further on those rape allegations. We'll give our final thoughts on that. And another NHL star, surprise, surprise, doesn't like three-on-three. We'll weigh on that as well. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about uh, the Flint Firebirds. Now, they've only been an OHL team for just over three months. They were previously the Plymouth Whalers who relocated to Flint, Michigan. And uh, they've got a very talented team. Uh, Here are some notable players. Defenseman Billy Sarajarvi, a Detroit Red Wings prospect. Defenseman Alex Peters is a Dallas Stars prospect. Uh, Defenseman Josh Wesley, (coughs) the son of Glenn Wesley, and a Carolina Hurricanes prospect. Um, goalie Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, the top goaltending prospect, he is also in the Carolina system. And forward Connor Chatham, a New Jersey Devils prospect. So and, this is a pretty good team. And now, um, their record is only oh. 7-9-0-1, and they're second last in the Western Conference. Uh, that's why we're not talk. That's why we're not talking about them, though. Um, after a come from behind win, they were down three-one against the Oshawa Generals uh, this past weekend. They came back and won 4-3 in overtime. Immediately after the game, things got messy between management and players. Uh, Unexpectedly, uh, their head coach, John Gruden, and his assistant, Dave Carpa, were fired by the owner of the franchise. Keyword is fired. Uh, All 24 players, including the owner's son, who was on the roster, went upstairs, tossed their jerseys, said to hell with this to ownership, and walked out. OHL Commissioner David Branch caught wind of this, and less than 24 hours after the mass firing, he met with all parties to try and resolve this issue. Now, here's how this whole thing started, allegedly. One theory is that the owner didn't like the amount of ice time that his son was getting, hockey dad of the year, everybody, to which head (laughs) coach John Gruden said, it wouldn't be fair to favor one player over the rest of the team, and everyone would get their ice time if they earned it. The assistant coaches, mostly uh, Dave Carpa, stood by Gruden, and Gruden refused to give in to the owner's request. In response, Gruden and his staff were all fired. They even fired the equipment manager. When the guys in the dressing room found out about the mass firing, like I said before, they took a stand of their own and quit the team, so to speak. And the owner's son was one of the people who chimed in um, on this the most. He called his dad, the owner, and said stuff like, you can't do this, and what the hell are you doing? Uh, Gruden, the coach, responded by saying to the guys, don't quit the team, you guys have bright careers. The team responded, we're battling for you, coach. A statement further emphasized with a note on the dressing room door that read, we'll come back when the coaches come back. Uh, Before I go any further, Brett, uh, I want to hear your take on this. I've never seen this 
or heard of any situation like this at any level of hockey in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, surely this must be a first for you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Well, first off, uh, great summarizing the story. I didn't know that last bit, um, as you were saying, off the air, that there was some new development. So it's good that, I mean, it's kind of, from my perspective, it's, uh, it's crazy because it's, um, I mean, like, for the obvious reasons, it's, you know, it's like, this is, this seems like a movie in a way. It seems yeah. like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Rudy. Um, I, I, that, you know what, the, the, it's funny, one of the TSN insiders, yeah. um, Frank Valley mentioned that name uh, of the movie Rudy. And yeah, because they did a similar thing. When, yeah, when they did a similar thing. right out of the movie. Yeah, yeah, they did a similar thing where the like all the players put in their jerseys on the coach's table, and then um, it was a long time since I saw the movie, but I think it's like uh, they did it in order for Rudy, who was this like you know comeback player who's like really tries and um, just for him to play um, because the coaches kind of refused to do it. I believe I feel like I'm. <laughs> I feel like I, I haven't seen that movie in a while, so I may have butchered that. I apologize to all the Rudy fans, but uh, yeah, I haven't no. seen the movie either, so <laughs> I, I don't know how much merit that uh, gives me on this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but um, uh, no, no. But it's, there, it's... There, there were there were some new developments, like you said. Actually, they not only brought the head coach John Gruden back, they not only brought the assistant coach Dave Carpa back. They not only brought the equipment manager back, or at least it seems as if they brought uh, the equipment manager uh, back. His name is Matt Noretsky. He was uh, also right. fired. Um, it appears he's back as well. Um, the coaching staff, the assistant and the head coach himself, were both given three-year extensions by the Flint Firebirds a day oh, wow. after they were fired. They were rehired to new three-year deals. Well, I guess it, I guess it worked, the protest. Then. Well, yeah. Yeah. If there's one good to take out of this messy situation, if there's one good thing, it's that the players stood by each other. Yeah, they showed faith I think in their coach. They showed faith in one especially, another. Especially, especially yeah. that bond. Especially that son too, who like yeah. who was also a part of the protest because that, yeah. that was supposedly what it was about. And it's like I was looking at his numbers, or I was reading articles about this story, and it's like these his numbers, the son's numbers, aren't nothing to really, you know. They aren't, they aren't good. So it was, um, it's interesting. It's also interesting, well, first off, John Gruden um, is uh, back in the States, is uh, like a Monday Night Football uh, announcer. So it's funny that yeah, you're saying... Yeah, it's not that John Gruden, yeah, yeah. is it? No, it's not. I'm not confused with him, eh? Well, John Gruden is doing Monday Night Football right now. So, um, yeah, it's not yeah, that yeah, John Gruden. it's not the same John Gruden no, that's no. coaching the Firebirds. That would be hilarious. Uh, secondly, I, I I was also looking at the actual team. This team uh, used to be the uh, Plymouth Whalers, and then yeah. they moved to uh, Flint, um, Michigan. Just this past offseason. Just this past offseason. They've only been a team for three months. Yeah, and um, I, I do remember... Um, I always hate bringing up Tyler Sagan, but he, he was he's yeah. their most famous alumni... Uh, also, I was looking at James Neal, James Wisniewski, also James used Neal. to be a Plymouth Whaler. Um, so those, if if you want to, like, if you're like me, who wants to relate it to, like, an NHL aspect of it, uh, to this story, that's, 
That's the other way to do it. Um, And and, and, and I figure we should mention this now. Just because it's the Ontario Hockey League, yes, there are some American teams that play in the Ontario Hockey League. I'll name the Erie Otters, (laughs) based in Erie, Pennsylvania, who Connor McDavid (laughs) and TJ Oshie and the likes played for. Yeah. Saginaw Spirit in Saginaw, Michigan, yep. and then you also had the Plymouth Whalers, who are now the Flint Barbers. Yeah, yeah basically. that took me a uh, it took me a while to realize that because I I like I sort of pay attention to CHL stuff, but like if I have like if I have a choice between like the NHL, college, or CHL, I'd probably choose college more, uh, just because yeah. I live in Boston. It's basically a hockey oh, yeah. hotbed. Boston. University yeah. Boston College. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to see Jack Eichel last year at BU, uh, but um, I never actually went to go. But uh, that's uh, an aside. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention was uh, how like they're in last place, but their record is like five and seven, which isn't even that bad. Or like their their record seven nine zero and one at last year. So, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> seven nine. And they just made the close. defending yeah. uh, Memorial Cup champions, not just the OHL champions, yeah. the Memorial Cup champions, which is basically the top team in all of Canada. Right. So, um, so the yeah, so it's just it's just interesting that like, and it's also even more strange considering that they can't. They just the team just came back to win, yeah. and then like. I just can't imagine, like, being, like, a player, like, you, you just come back from, like, this huge, you know, this huge game, you beat, like, the best team who just won the championships, you know, the year before, and then you're, like, but, like, that's the sign of how bad it truly was in the locker room, that they couldn't even celebrate it, because they were just, like, I, I hate these coaches, I'm just gonna, you know, I give up, you know, so, um, so that's good news, though that the uh, that the college um, that the uh, the coaches are back. So, well, I, I, like with that kind of an outcry from the players, I don't think the owner had much of a choice. True. Like, like his he issued an apology, some of which, uh, was, and it was described by some people as full of BS and not at all meaningful. Yeah. So <laughs> it, maybe I I don't even know if if the owner feels any remorse for what he did or anything like that, maybe the outcry was big enough that if he stood by his ground, this team would have probably folded like a cheap tent. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, interesting. Oh yeah. I was going to say that like the owner, that's like such a, I mean, that's like the biggest hockey dad move ever. Um, well, yeah, the, yeah. The, the owner forgot his role. You're not supposed to put one guy ahead of the entire team, even if it's your right. kid. And when that wrong, and when that one guy says it's the wrong thing to do, it shows in itself just how stupid you were and the thought process of of doing something that reckless. And it's a good thing this story had a happy ending because it could have gotten really ugly really quickly. Yeah, I don't know if this has ever happened, even like not I, just I've in never hockey. I've seen it happen in my life. Yeah, honestly. I don't know. I don't know if it's happened not just in hockey, but like in any sport. I wonder if. I doubt it's. It might have happened ever, but um, yeah, that's it's a it's a crazy story. So that's why we started it at first. Um, I did 
while we're on the amateur hockey um, note phase, I guess, of the program, I did want to mention that Thatcher Demko, who is the uh, Boston College goalie, um, he's also a Vancouver prospect. He was drafted, I believe, in 2011. I'm not entirely sure on that. It might be 2012. Um, but anyways, he um, he had his third straight shutout, um, and that's his sixth shutout in seven games. Um, yeah, how's that for a Saturday? I know, I know. Um, and he, he is, the good news for me is that he's an American. He's from California, um, and I'm just, just with Austin Matthews coming up, um, you know, Jack Eichel, uh, Johnny Goudreau with Seth Jones, Aaron, uh, no, not Aaron Eckblad, but, um, you know, like the future of American hockey is, has never been brighter. Um, I, I don't, I don't know when, um, well, I don't know if it's never been brighter, but the fact that you're getting all these good, talented players coming out of places like Arizona and California, the places that you 10, 15, 20 years ago would be a rarity for players to come, uh, to come out and and make it big in certain areas like that. It shows the growth of the sport more than anything. Yeah. I'm also forgetting, I'm forgetting a lot of people like Gibbs, John Gibson. We have, um, the crazy thing is, is that Demko is only 19 years old. Um, which means that he's not, he hasn't even hit his prime yet. Of course, this is college, so it's like, um, you know, it's college hockey, so it's not as big as, like, um, in terms of the skill level, it's not quite, like, AHL level or um, NHL level, of course. So, but, like, uh, I guess Jacob Markstrom has um, has to be... Uh, yeah, getting that's his, nervous. That's his main competition yeah. going forward for sure. Because at yeah. this rate, that this guy's going to land himself on an NHL roster, even if it's not Vancouver. Like this, this, right. it, it, it's definitely promising for sure. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's it's cool too because it's like he's from Boston College, so I get to see. I have more of a chance to see him. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so that's it's cool for that. I guess we'll um, we'll start with. Speaking of uh, the future of hockey, uh, it's a, it's another it's a sad day for Canada um, and the hockey world. I should say that too. Uh, Connor McDavid uh, broke his cab- clavicle on I believe it was last Tuesday. Um, it was the same injury that Patrick Kane had last season, where he missed two months. Which, by the way, is I feel like there hasn't been enough talked about how the Blackhawks kind of like found a loophole in the system where like you're allowed to uh, like the salary cap doesn't count in the playoffs. Um, So like they could have Patrick Kane and Antoine Vermette who they got in the trade deadline, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, But, uh, uh, so even though the so like like Patrick Kane's, they said and they made it seem like he would be out until in time for the conference finals, but he was ready in the first round. So um, who knows how long McDavid is out? But I would say at least two to three months. So that would mean he'd be back in by January or February, 
maybe March. Yeah, that's what they're saying, early 2016. Yeah. So it's, 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 he's likely to be back, but it's still, of course, sad news because he was, you know, he was very exciting. He had, uh, he had 12 points in 13 games, and he, it seemed like he was just, he was already taking over the world of hockey. Um, so, you know, like he made Oilers games watchable. Um, and, you know, like it was, it was exciting to watch, like for people to say like how good the Oilers are, how exciting the Oilers future is instead of what they were last year, where it's just like, though the defense stinks, the, you know, the goalie stinks. So, but, uh, so yeah, it's sad news, but uh, this does mean that Neil Yakupov and Leon Dreisaitl will have their opportunity to shine uh, more. Um, we even talked about in a couple episodes about how um, how we wondered what would happen to Neil Yakupov if when he's not on McDavid's line or when he's in, injured. So it's so we so now we get to understand. Unfortunately. Uh, um, we understand. We get to see what that is. So that's yeah, interesting. We're, we're going to see what they're made of now. Yeah. So yeah, that's because, my, that's my real Connor question. Connor McDavid yeah. is your star player. Connor McDavid is the face of your franchise. No disrespect to Taylor Hall, Jordan Everlay, the Nuge, or anybody else, but he is the face of your franchise. He is getting uh, all the money pouring in. That is the main guy that fans are paying to see. And when you generate that much attention, you're also going to generate that much attention from the opposing team. Everyone's going to be focused on how to shut this guy down. They're going to forget about all the other weapons in your system. And then that puts less pressure on them. And that leads to more success. Now that Connor McDavid isn't there, all that attention is going to be focused on those guys that have to step it up. And unfortunately for the guys who have to step it up, not only are you going to have to deal with that pressure, you're going to have to deal with the guys that are trying to shut you down every twist and turn. And you look at Leon Dreisaitl's numbers, um, scored twice against Montreal, then he gets a three-point night against the Flames. And the night McDavid gets hurt, he gets two helpers. And although the last two games Edmonton have played have been against Pittsburgh and Chicago, two really good teams despite their records. They're two very good teams. He's been held pointless in both. So it, it's like you said, we're going to find out what guys like Dreisaitl are made of, what Yakupov's made of, what Taylor Hall is made of, what Ryan Nugent Hopkins is made of. And now that Jordan Everlay's back, that's the good news. They have Jordan Everlay back. This is his time to really grab that moment and really be a big contributor for this team because they need everyone pulling the rope in the same direction. And if they're not, you're going to see the basically what we saw all of last year. We're, we're going to see a team that's close to winning, that's making it close, but just can't get it done. Yeah, well, to be fair, the, the two games that the Oilers played without McDavid was against Pittsburgh and against Chicago, and those are two very offensive teams. So it, and yet they managed to get 36 shots on the Blackhawks, too. That's true, yeah, I noticed that. Uh, yeah, that is not an easy feat. And it was 2-1 against uh, Pittsburgh. So um, so they are they are getting better, I think. I actually think the Oilers will be okay. I mean, obviously it's unfortunate because McDavid did make them better. I, um, I But I think that since they have a better coach 
I think Cam Talbot's better than Scrivens was, even though yeah. Talbot has struggled a bit. They, they, they have a bit yeah. more structure on their team than they Yeah, and, and they have, they have you a, know, they have a plan. Yeah, they have Sakara, who's, you know, who's a better defenseman than what they had last year. So at least they have like a bit of a foundation. Like I don't expect them to win every game, obviously, and it's yeah. obviously a big loss to them. But I I don't I don't think they're like completely out of it either. Um, and 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 Eberle came back um, at the best time possible because it's like because yeah. he's I mean obviously he never got to play with uh, McDavid, but now it's like. You know, now they have a. You know, it's it's a it's good news for the Oilers. Um, it's just a it's a sad situation, but uh, they, it's a sad situation. It's going to make them better moving forward because, like you said, it, it, it's going to bring the team together. You know, it's yeah. overcome adversity kind of deal. And it, if they can stay at five hundred, that's a victory for them because no one's expecting them to do anything. If they can stay right there in the thick of it, that's that's big for a team moving forward. Yeah, that's true. It's like, um, yeah, I feel like that was kind of their like a like one of their big problems of of many was last year or the years before is that like I feel like just being on that team where like you're losing every game, you're not just like every game, but like every season you're one of the worst teams. So that must like. Do and you're really? going on major losing streaks yeah. too. They had one where they lost eleven straight, and Dallas yeah. Aikens that pretty much cost him his job. That eleven game losing streak. Yeah, and that must that must have an impact on your morale, not just oh, yeah. um, you know, um, like even to like the star players like Taylor Hall and Roger Nugent Hopkins and Eberle, who are you know who who have been pretty good um, even when they were losing. But <laughs> it's like, um, but. Uh, yeah, so it's it's different in terms of like now, you know, you got this like big hope, you know, you got the future of the franchise, um, and then he goes out. But now it's time for you to prove yourself. Because now you have the GM, you have the coach, you have some defense. You know, you have Darnell Nurse who has looked good. You know, you have Drysaitel who's looked good. So um, it should be interesting to see how they do. Um, we last last week we said that the Canadians were the most interesting team of the week. I think the Oilers are the most interesting team of like month, you know, or the um, uh, like they weren't before. But um, yeah, so it, it should be interesting to see how they do. Um, I did another question I had was what chances does like let's say Connor McDavid comes back. Um, in February, end of February. Um, so what will he have to do to get the Calder Trophy, which is the best rookie award? Because um, he was well on his way already. But, um, um, yeah, so, I mean, what chances do you see him having? Well... The only realistic shot, because the guy that's ahead of him in the scoring race is Artemi Panarin, and he's been great for the Blackhawks so far this season. I think if he goes on a Mark Stone-like uh, tear in the second half and his team goes on on a respectable run, not a massive run to get him within playoff contention, but they can stay within 500 hockey, and he can make the Oilers, you know, 
a team that everybody loves to watch. Even if they're not going to make the playoffs in the final day of the regular season, no matter what, you're going to watch the Oilers game. I think it's a long shot for him to win the Calder Trophy, unfortunately, with this injury. Is it out of the question completely? Anything is possible. And if you're a talented kid like Connor McDavid, it wouldn't surprise me if he just if he won if he won rookie of the year. The rookie of the year, it's not about in my opinion who's got the most points. It's it's about the impact to your team and how well your team is doing. Yeah, that's um, that's a good point. It's if like he, if his if yeah. his if he plays well enough to make the Oilers relevant late in the season, even if they don't make the playoffs, he makes them relevant. I say he wins it. Is he going to score the most points of any rookie? That would be a very 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 slim chance for him to do that. Well, but, uh, winning the Calder Trophy, yeah. it's with it's not within reach, but it's not impossible at this point. Um Nugent Hopkins got injured his rookie year, yeah. um, but uh, then he came back and he, I think he had like some crazy stat where he had a pretty good year. Like I think it was like six, like uh, maybe like something like fifty points in sixty games or something like that. But yeah. he he ended up losing uh, the Calder to Landeskog that year. Um, I might have butchered that stat. I feel like I'm just butchering all stats no, think, this year. I think 50 to 60 points is a reasonable estimate because I think that's yeah. roughly what he got in his rookie season. Um, but yeah, so um, all right, so at least you have my back on that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, like but, I said, he's, yeah. he's not the hands down favorite anymore, but it's it's yeah. not impossible for Connor McDavid. True, to true. I um, it's just, it's just like, yeah. But I, I'm just looking at all these like rookie points, and I'm just like noticing how how many ro- good rookies there are out here yeah. right now. There's Panarin, not just McDavid. There's Panarin, as you were just mentioning. Lindbergh and Domi have 11 points. Perico, yeah. per- I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, but per- Fulton per- Perico, per- Perico, yeah, uh Dylan Larkin, Ellers, Bennett. Uh, Duclair, McCann, Eichel, Colin Miller, my favorite player. Um, Polkinen, you add him to the mix too. Y- who? Polkinen, I said. Timo Polkinen. Oh yeah, Polkinen. Although he's I don't know if he's points, in. I think. Oh well, the, the list I'm looking at doesn't include him as a rookie, so maybe oh, he's not okay. a rookie. I don't know. I think there's like a age limit. Like I don't know, is he 25 or something? I, I don't think he is. That's that's actually a good question. But you're right. There is there is an yeah. age limit on rookies. But right? like that was. A, but back to your first point that you were talking about in terms of like it's all it, like the Calder Trophy isn't really like a points race. It's more of like what impact do they have on their team? And, yeah, like look yeah. look at last year's a classic example. Yeah, I was Stone about had to 64 say sixty-four points. Gutro had sixty plus. Yet Ekblad won it. Yeah, well, but you could make a case though that. Uh, but, like, Goudreau was very meaningful to Calgary's success, and same with Stone with Ottawa. Same with Mark Stone, yeah. Yeah, but, like, Ekblad was basically the Florida Panthers. Um, yeah, and to do what so, he did in, in, his, in his first year, put up, like, 35, 40 points, maybe even more than that, and and almost, you know, with the help of Luongo and company, almost get the Panthers into the playoffs and keep them relevant uh into March and April is, is is pretty something to do in your rookie season. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's 
I think uh, McDavid has a good chance if he can keep up the pace and like get back yeah, in pick, February. Pick up where he left off. He's got a chance. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, but it's it's going to be tough co- competition yeah. given all the people I just listed. So yeah, given um, the fact they have a lot of depth in the rookie class. And also, year. I mean, these awards are kind of um, overrated too. It's yeah, like, they are. It's, it's pointless. It's just really fodder for people like us to commentate so but, Bennett couldn't do a pull-up and you if you saw the highlight real goal he scored yeah. against Pittsburgh over the weekend you probably wouldn't care I actually if we're talking about fantasy hockey I picked him up and I had to drop someone on my team so I dropped Max Domi so uh, um, I, I, I actually I dropped Sam Bennett for Yoni Orcio just before he started to get oh uh, wow yeah that's not good no <laughs> Um, and I also lost McDavid and Palat for multiple weeks too. So I oh, probably yeah. could. Have I lost like Palat too, but um, yeah, we'll uh, now we'll Bennett, see. Of course, got picked up by somebody else. Anyways, so we're getting off topic. Here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, a, a guy on my fantasy team, uh, Patrick Kane. Um, yeah. It looks like this. Uh, his case is over. Um. Maybe I think it's like I don't think it's officially dismissed, but it's well. Uh, the, according to the 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 district attorney's office um, in charge of the prosecution in charge of the prosecution against Patrick Kane, they will not prosecute. Uh, they they will yeah, not seek up for. I was just getting that. So it looks like case is closed. But I think they were saying like I think like uh, one of the side is like uh, challenging. The decision or something like that, which I I, I don't uh, well I don't know I if it's officially the over, but is refusing to cooperate with yeah. the investigation further. No further but charges I did, are laid. However, yeah. Bill Daly, the the deputy commissioner of the NHL, uh, said they will conduct their own investigation. Oh they yeah, that, that's what I heard. They're coming at this time. They're going to pick up the investigation from there. Yeah. So oh yeah. That that's he's, that's he's what he's I heard. Close yeah. to being home free, but not a hundred percent. But, yeah, yeah no, you're it. right. It, it, he did get good news, but, yeah, that is what I heard, that Bill Dilley is going to investigate it um, some more. But, yeah, so a prosecutor decided not to charge Kane for a lack of credible evidence, but yeah. it's still ongoing because the NHL now has to do its due diligence. Um, however, on the ice, Kane has been really good. He's now leading the league in points. I know that's an understatement uh, that, you know, he has been really good. Um, he's he's gone on... 10-game point streak. Yeah, 10-game point streak with 17 points uh, leading the league. So I guess we know what motivates Kane. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll start off by asking, um, how, wa- how, how was this whole investigation handled? Or did you think it was inv- handled fairly? And, you know what's... It's t- it's tough to really say. Um, I I haven't really been following this investigation twenty four seven. To be perfectly honest, I don't. And you know, of course, I wasn't at you know the scene of the crime. You know, when right. the alleged crime took place, so I don't know as much as the next guy. But all I know is that Patrick Kane said that. At the end of the day, he knew he would be absolved from this and that he did nothing wrong in the first place. And so far, it looks like he's right, and I was wrong to to doubt him and suggest that the Blackhawks uh, trade him while he still has value. Because 
I told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, you can gloat all you want about that. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's not going to affect his play. Uh, you, you can tell just based on this 10-game point streak, even while they, and they started the 10-game point streak back when the investigation was, was still open. Right. Uh, not entirely closed. So the, the fact that he's motivated, um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Hawks pick up uh, their play now. Or once Duncan Keith comes back, especially from his injury too. But as to how the case is handled, I'm, I'm not I'm not at liberty to discuss that. And yeah, there is, and if the, depending on how the NHL picks it up, um, then maybe I I'd be willing to discuss it more. Yeah, when I, the NHL concludes its own investigation, but uh, the way the evidence was handled at, at times was suspect. I yeah, I, I first want to mention that, you know, this is a touchy subject, so it's, yeah. um, I'm trying hard to, I'm trying to pick my words wisely yeah. Um, yeah. in this case. I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's the issue with me, too, is that, like, I mean, you know, I feel like there's going to be supporters who still think he did it. I think there's going to be supporters who think that this is all a cry for attention from the women. Um, I'm just sad that we don't know the actual truth. And like you were saying, because it's not like I didn't really follow it that much either. But I do know that it because I was just waiting for it. Like, I just want to wait till the evidence is there and then I can assess, uh, you know, an opinion on it. Um but it's you know it's just sad that I can't like we'll never really know the only well, yeah, two because the evidence yeah. wasn't was incredible without yeah. credible evidence you can't really make a definitive uh, opinion on yeah. a certain subject if and you I think that's that's what he said she said something yeah. like that that's not enough to go on and I think that's sad is that the only two people who knows what actually happened is Patrick Kane and the girl or the woman yeah um, and. Um, uh, but if the Blackhawks, uh, from a PR standpoint, you're lucky that nothing more became of this process at this yeah. point. Because if he was found guilty of doing this, then you've got basically you're paying a guy ten to twelve million dollars. His career is probably over. And right. if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you're probably breathing a sigh of relief that you're not. Even if even if he did something wrong, you're fortunate that you know you don't you don't really have much to go on because it that's a real that's going to set you back a couple of years in in your chain in your chain in, in your pursuit to build another Stanley Cup contender. You've got one of your star players basically sitting on the sidelines doing nothing and watching his reputation get ripped to shreds with every single piece of evidence that comes out if there was actual legit evidence to support this the blackhawks i would i would not want to be in their position they would be in right. huge trouble yeah i mean it, it's it's sad that it's open it's open-ended like that because it's um because this is our next question is what kind of effect will this have on pecan um's career i still think he makes it to the hall of fame even though but it's still there's still that cloudy judgment where you're like you're not sure if he did it 
It's back to like um, guilty until you're proven innocent. That's yeah. what some people are are, are gonna are gonna go on. You yeah, know? exactly. They, I mean, he's already say that he did it, but people yeah. are gonna make their own judgments based on how how they feel, what their opinion is. Yeah, if he retired right after he won the Stanley, his last Stanley Cup, even if he retired after 2013 when he won his second, um, he would for sure be in the Hall of Fame. But like, um. So he's definitely in the Hall of Fame. It's just now you have to decide on, you know, for these writers, it's an interesting issue in terms of, well, should we, you know, should we get in, should we put in someone based on some something that we believe happened, even well, yeah, though we have no evidence, is, you know? If the past is going to cloud his future, for yeah. sure. And it's, it's, it's back to, like, the baseball Hall of Fame argument. It's like, do you yeah. vote in... Do you vote in Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, all those steroid guys? Um, or a class player that put up good numbers yeah. through and through, class act right to the end. Yeah, or yeah, or do you do that way? Or like because it's like an era where it is tainted in terms of, I mean, it's a little different in that sense. But uh, like you know, but like at the same time, you know, we, there's Bobby Hull is in the Hall of Fame even though he has he has a shady past. Um, I think there's a couple of other player, NHL players who are in the hall who, um, you know, who aren't the greatest people. So, um, yeah, this definitely tarnishes his career. Um, I think the only thing that it really has an effect on is, um, his hall of fame ballot, but that's, he doesn't have to worry about that till, uh, like 10 years from now. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's go to another topic before we, either one of us says something stupid. Um, (laughs) so, uh, this is kind of a, I guess a little silly of a story, I guess, but, uh, Babcock, uh, scoring his, after, uh, Saturday's game, uh, Babcock was asked, asked about, uh, the goalie interference calls, um, and apparently... Uh, he just, Babcock turned this into a, um, uh, he, like, he turned it around in terms of he wanted to increase the net size for, um, he turned this into, like, the net increasing, I actually just lost yeah, the Yeah, the quote. wider net debate, he, he, he uh, brought that to subject to light. Yeah, he brought the, yeah, I, I failed in terms of speaking today, and... <laughs> Um, I can't speak. Hold on, can you, uh, I'm just gonna stall, because I realized I didn't have the quote with me here, but, uh, he basically said, Okay, while, um, while, while you look for the quote, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about the quote that, that an AHL goalie oh, in the farm system, okay, in yeah. the Maple Leafs farm system, here's what he had to say, his name is Garrick Sparks, OHL alumni, played for the Gwell Store for a little bit, here's what he had to say, it's our fourth installment, it's hard NHL to believe that the NHL season is already about a month underway now. No but one of the top like teams... The NHL's all-star game, and there's 20 goals a game. The game is so low scoring because the emphasis on defensive structure is at an all-time high. This is games outside the all-star game. That's the difference you see between the 80s style of hockey and today's NHL. Hot take, keep the Nets the same size and figure out a way to be smarter and more athletic goalies. I would say... Um, 
whatever Mike Babcock has to say, that's a pretty good argument on the other side of the spectrum. And I fully support Garrett Sparks on that, but I'm willing to hear uh, Babcock's exact quote if you have it. Yeah, I have it on hand now. So, yeah, so, uh, uh, so, right, so this is, uh, the goalie interference is the big uh, controversy this year. There's been a lot of calls where, um, you know, it's like, did the player touch, did the players not, and there's a lot of coaches' challenges. There's a lot, in the Bruins-Canadians game, there was, there was like yeah, one. Yeah, Gallagher's that was gotten a few of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Habs fans were mad about that, I remember that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, I guess there was a, a thing in, oh, in Toronto and Washington, there was a goalie interference call yeah, I noticed that was that, questionable yeah. too. Um, so, um, so yeah, so as you know, scoring has been down. Um, so, but he was asked about the goalie interference question and then he says, it's impossible to score, Babcock said. All you got to do is a math equation. You go to the 1980s when the puck went in the net. You get the average size of the goalies in the NHL and the average size of the net. You keep growing the net bigger. That would make the game the same. We change the game every year because we don't want to change the game. Um, We change the game every year because we don't want to change the game. The net's too small for the size of the goalies, period. We can talk all we want. We still get quality, quality chances every night. The goals don't go in. The goalies are too good for the size of the net. So, yeah, he's blaming the reason why it's scoring is so low. Because when you you shrink the the goalie pads enough and it still doesn't make much of a difference, you go, oh, it has to be the size of the net. we got to make that bigger now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously. Shrink the trapezoid, why don't you? I'm, I'm actually okay with this today's hockey in terms of um because i feel like it was better than better than it was you know in the 90s or whatever but um but like so i don't know if we need to increase the scoring chances or not so i i don't it depends on how big the net is going to be but it is i do feel like the goalies I think the reason why scoring hasn't increased is because of goalies are just better um, than they were. Um, well, yeah, as Garrett as Garrett Sparks alluded to in his series of tweets, at the end of the day, coaches and players can and will make all yeah. the excuses they want. The script isn't going to change unless they change and adapt. And right. the difference is goalies have been able to adapt. The shooters yeah. need to adapt themselves. And if right. they don't, then you're not going to see too much scoring. Yeah, it does, yeah, it does make you wonder, like, what, like, because, I mean, you can say this for every sport, like, defense has gotten better in football, pitching has gotten better in baseball, yeah. um, you know, there's different issues for that, um, reasons because of, like, steroids and just coaching has gotten better in football, a little bit better in football, um, yeah. in terms of schemes, but, um, yeah, in hockey, it's it's mostly just that, you know, goalies have their own goaltending coach. Um, you know, they're able to train better than ever before, but at the same time, skaters are also training better than before, ever before too. And it's, you know, so it's, so yeah, I guess it's like, I guess like a bigger net would increase scoring, of course. Um, but I don't think, um, that's ever going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And honestly, like, 
if, if you want to if you want to make the perfect shots, then and and you need the net to be bigger, and you know the goalie's cut cutting down the angle. You know you can you can make an argument for that. You know it's really tough to to, to score when the goalie's is out challenging and and you're on a breakaway and you can't score and, and it's tough. But if you put a series of bodies in front of the net and you get a fluky garbage goal that deflects for a second and it goes in on that same net size, as the saying goes, you can't stop what you can't see. Get in front of the goalie. Make sure he can't see the puck. Right. And then he'll probably have a better time scoring <laughs> goals. That, yeah. that's, it's as simple as that. If you, if, you, if you can make sure he can't see it, then you have a better chance of scoring goals. Right. And good teams know how to do that. Yeah, I mean, and you can also make the case that it's like it makes for the hockey to be more of a mental game than it's ever been before because yeah. you have to They're be more, more tactical. They, yeah. they, they have more structure. Yeah. They know that the best defense is a good offense, and that's exactly. why you're seeing fewer goals. You see fewer people trying to make mistakes and, and turn the puck over and get too fancy. And that's also why you're seeing teams like the Oilers and the Bruins recently and like the Flyers who have – a lot of Inks, forwards. Inks and yeah. Devils have been doing a boring style game for years. But yeah. if it gets some wins, they don't care. It's but I was saying, like, in terms of uh, in terms of teams that have like bad, it's why like teams that have bad defenses, like you can have, you know, uh, all these great offensive forwards like Giroux, Voracek, yeah. um, you know, for the Flyers, you know, all those people that we we're mentioning for the Oilers, Hall, New Jobbins. Uh, Bergeron, um, Krejci, Marshawn, you know, those are all very talented forwards, but, you know, if you don't have defense, you're not going to win in this league, um, so that it makes it for, uh, you know, um, so, that, I mean, I think it's just the game has changed. I don't think we need to make bigger nets. <laughs> um, speaking of other uh, other. Ch- Changes to the game, I guess. Um, uh, the hot debate now, uh, another hot debate, is uh, three-on-three OT. Um, so, yeah, uh, we we were going to cover this last week, but we decided it wasn't um, a huge topic to talk about. But now uh, another star has joined the fray. Um, so I think we're, it's time to actually talk about it or have a discussion about it. So Ovechkin um, now joins Eric Carlson and Bufflin, who said um, they don't like three-on-three OT. Um, yeah, basically, basically makes them tired. They don't, yeah, yeah. they don't agree with it at all. Right. So last week, Bufflin started this whole thing. Um, he said that OT, this three-on-three OT, it's not hockey. It ain't hockey. It's just let the kids play. It's stupid. Just keep it four on four, five on five. Let's just play hockey. And then Carlson said later that week, it's not really hockey. It's whoever holds on to the puck the longest and whoever cheats the most. Small stuff like that. Kind of boring. I don't really know what the extra purpose is. It serves, I don't know what extra purpose it serves other than getting players extra tired. I don't see why we would keep it. Um, it's funny because Carlson got an assist in OT this week, so I wonder what his thinking is now. Um, and then Ovechkin, I don't think he made an actual statement about if he liked it or not, but he did say that he was tired after the OT game on Saturday. Um, yeah, after after 
he, he was he was talking about uh, his milestone goal, um, and and then uh, later on, uh, he went on a tangent about uh, three on three. He basically, in the nutshell, said, "Makes me feel tired. I don't like it." Yeah. Um, so, do they have a point? That's our first well, question. It, it's three-on-three three overtime. I like three-on-three three overtime. My my opinion hasn't wavered on that. However, the NHL, considering three-on-three three in this year's All-Star game, that is relevant to me because it probably yeah. hinges on how many of these All-Star players approve of the change. You've got two, Dustin Buffalo and Eric Carlson, already uh, expressing their disapproval. And then when you have Alexander the Great piling on, yeah. uh, when you have three All-Star caliber players saying they don't like three-on-three three overtime, um, and one of them is the most entertaining superstars in the game, explain to me why three-on-three three hockey in the All-Star game is a good idea. It's still a work in progress, but Gary Bettman, please tread lightly on this topic and don't do something you're going to regret. Because well, if three, three people, three All-Star players have already said they don't like it, three-on-three three uh, three three in the All-Star game, how many people do you think are going to approve of that for a full 60 minutes? Yeah, that, that is a good point. However, uh, first off, All-Star Game is purely for the uh, fans. Um, and that's really what 3-on-3 three three overtime is. It's, it's just so, And that's what the shootout was uh, you know, when it first came into the game, too. It's, it's like they don't really care about the stars. They care about uh, the fans or seeing exciting plays. Um, and yeah. so then it, it didn't show in the shootout, so they're hoping that it's going to work for the, you know, this three-on-three three overtime. I'm actually, I didn't know that they uh, they changed that format in all, the All-Star game. That should be interesting. They're not changing. I think they're discussing it, though. Okay. So it's not official yet, you mean. But, yeah, um, but yeah that, that would be exciting. Because I, I, as a fan perspective, I think it's... You know, it's great. It's something that, like, you know, it's better than a tie. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's it's like, what chances do you like? Let's say, like, a, um, you know, you have like a Caps versus Stars OT with you know Ovechkin, Carlson, and Backstrom, and then you have Ben and Sagan and Klingberg on the other yeah. end. So that's like, you know, that gives you um, excitement as a fan. However, on the other side, if you think about how the players are feeling, you know, it's obviously a, um, a lot more tiring because, you know, you have to cover that much more ice and your mistakes are that much more evident if you do end up, you know, failing. But from, but I think it's like, it's interesting because I don't think it's going to change because it's all about, well, I don't think it's, I shouldn't say it, I don't think it's going to change. I, I just don't think... Um, I think it's, I think what Carlson and Bufflin don't understand is that, yeah, it's not hockey, but it's, it's also what makes the fans excited. Um, yeah, you're trying to get more people to tune, to tune in to watch your games, and I understand that, but this is the All-Star game, and remember, <laughs> wait, what do you mean this is the All-Star game? All-Star players said, I'm not going to go to this year's All-Star game. Well, it's been a recurring theme over the past. Wait. I think last year Crosby didn't take part in it. Well, yeah, but I mean, and if, if three on three, if that's three another three issue. Hockey for... is how you're going to get people 
if you're trying to get people to participate in the All-Star game, as, as many people as you can, what are the chances that people are going to get on board with three-on-three if more people don't like it? I would think uh, a lot less NHL players will attend the All-Star game if they make it three-on-three. I would go four-on-four. Four. I would love to see four-on-four. Four. I think that would be just as entertaining, but three-on-three three is pushing it in my opinion. But, well, yeah, but the All-Star game is meaningless first. I mean, it's well, Crosby. Yeah. Crosby doesn't go just because... People are focused on their season, yeah. so... Yeah, Crosby doesn't go just because he... He does. Crosby doesn't go because he's you know he he has better things to do. Um, well, yeah, he's probably run out of ideas to use in the All Star game. He's probably yeah. used them all. And so I mean, and the All Star game is just for the fans too. So that if you're gonna use a three on three for the entire All Star game, you know, if you're gonna make a crazy change like that, I'm glad that the NHL is at least trying to do it. I don't know. Um, but that is that is it a would good be point. An interesting change. They're doing it too soon, though. They need to see more of three on three before they make a decision yeah. like that. For such that a is a, that is a good point, though, because I am curious how many players are going to opt out because yeah. they don't want to do that. Um, otherwise, you know, um, yeah. You, you want to see but best I do, on best. That's what the All Star game is. Yeah. You want to see best on best. But I do want to, like, it is, um, but I do think that, like, the All-Star game needs to have a change um, in terms of getting people interested. But I think it's too soon to make this type of configuration. That's all I'm saying. They Um, need to see before they make that call. Yeah, so, um, so now we go on to, speaking of Ovechkin, who, uh, he made a, he had a milestone Goal. This is the same game as that Babcock game. So we're, we're yeah. three topics on the same game. Uh, so uh, Ovechkin on Saturday, Ovechkin tied Sergei Fedorov as the leading Russian goal scorer. Um, he's probably he almost broke it, but the goal yeah. was reversed due to goalie interference. Exactly. So that we're relating it. This is our podcast. You know, this is the episode to relate stuff. Half to our everyone. stuff is based on one game. <laughs> yeah. Um, it took, uh, Fedorov, uh, 1,248 games to get to 483 goals. Um, Ovechkin broke that, or tied that in 772 games, um, which is crazy. (laughs) Um, it makes you, because especially considering that's what we were talking about before, is how, um, how different the game has been in the 90s when Fedorov was around, you know, how how hard it is in the game now compared to what it was back then. So it does make... You said it was 483 or 493? 483. 483. Okay, here's a crazy stat that I found on Twitter. Since the Caps drafted the grade 8 in 2004, the Maple Leafs have drafted 83 players who have scored a combined 489 goals. Wow. That's just six more than Alex Ovechkin has scored. (laughs) Wow. That's nuts. Well, I, I also credit that, too, because I don't think Ovechkin's missed many games at all. No, he's been relatively healthy. Um, other than when he was, you know, he was he uh, overslept but that one yeah. time. But, yeah, I don't think he's been as, um, uh, he's been relatively healthy compared to his uh, quote-unquote rival, Sidney Crosby. Um, so, um 
Yeah, so it does make you wonder what Ovi would do if he was around in the 90s when scoring was high. Um, yeah. He'd probably break it um, in sooner games. It's just, it's just uh, we're, you know, when you're watching Ovechkin, you're watching like a legend, really. I mean, he's already a legend. He doesn't really I, need I to win a Stanley Cup. Most- Gifted goal scorer in Russian hockey history as far as NHL players yeah. go. I mean, a lot of other Russians paved the way, and a lot of them are good in their own right. But you look at the numbers, and Ovechkin's at the top of pretty much every goal-scoring list. Uh, yeah. As far as Russian NHL players, points, too, you could probably put him up there as well. I think, probably top ten at least. I, th- I think he might be the best goal scorer of all time. I know that's a crazy thing to say, but cause just considering how hard it is to score in, in today's, today's game, yeah. in today's game, and, uh, and he's not goals a season, yeah, and he's season. one time he got sixty plus, and he's not just like doing it in, um, you know, he's he like he broke the record, like Fedorov took it took Fedorov more than a thousand games to get to, and Ovechkin did it in seven hundred games. Which is just, yeah. uh, you know, it's just crazy. I was also reading a stat too that, like, since the lockout, Ovechkin has the most goals, and the second most is Aginla, uh, uh, who has like four hundred and eighty or something like that. Oh no, not four. Like he has no nowhere close to it. Yeah, it's like far behind. Yeah, far behind Ovi by like um, thirty or forty some goals. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is the most impressive stat of this whole thing is that like you know he's so much better than everyone else yeah, in that sense he's run, running, yeah. running away with the competition um and it's it's also interesting because like when we're you know everyone was back in 2005 everyone was looking for Sidney Crosby and of course he you know Crosby's amazing too um it's just now I feel like Ovechkin's just surpassed Crosby in terms of the actual generational talent. Um, yeah, and, and, and you look at guys like Wayne Gretzky, who made such an impact with the Oilers, he made them relevant. The Pittsburgh Penguins weren't nearly that good for several years before Crosby came back, and he made them relevant for the Capitals. over time. And Ovechkin did the same with Washington. Washington yeah. was a cellar dweller, too. Yeah, it's like whenever I watch those two play, um, I feel like I'm, like, watching history. And I, I know that's yeah. a weird thing, because, like, I know that, like, because, like, I always, because I, you know, I've always heard stories about Bobby Orr uh, or Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky, you know, all these legends of the game, but I never got to see because I wasn't born at the time or I was, yeah. like, two years old. So it's like, so now I feel like I'm, like, watching an actual you know, I'm watching, like, an actual legend whenever I'm watching them. So it's, um... And you don't feel it's always something the time. special. You, you, yeah. you just get caught up in the moment, and you're just like, my God, they're just... Yeah. It's just unbelievable what they're doing right now. And you don't yeah. really realize you're witnessing history until afterwards, and you see what they've done, and how few people have been able to replicate that kind of performance. Yeah. Um, it also, speaking of Gretzky, it's like, um... So it got me to wondering the other day. Um, so if Gretzky played in today's game, you know he trained the same way. Not maybe he trained the way that any NHL players. What would Gretzky's point totals be right now? Well, see, 
See, that's a tough call because, first of all, it, it's it's tough to say how he would do in today's NHL. I don't know how many points he'd get. I still think he'd be a cut above the rest. He would still be a once-in-a-generation kind of player. But you also have to account um, how important of a role Yari Curry was throughout his career yeah. because not only during well, his days in when he played with the Los Angeles Kings, both of them were teammates. Yeah, and they or, used to play on the same line. Or um, Mark Messier was a big part yeah. of that team too. So, yeah, that's a good point. I was... I'd say Gretzky would probably, you know, he would have the same amount of point totals as the Ovechkin, Stamkos's, and Crosby's have. Um, I don't know if he would have the same, like, if he would be, like... Like, close to 2,000 points, yeah. I, I think that'd be pushing it in today's NHL, but I, I, I'd say around 1,500 would still be a good Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think he would do the nearly as many point totals as he had in his you know in his prime, yeah. um, or like you know just run away with the competition every year, um, like he did back then. But um, yeah, it's, it was it's just an interesting question that I ha- I had where it's just like, wait a second, if Gretzky was around today, what would what would actually happen? Um, would like I I think. Yeah, I think we we both basically said the same thing, where I think he would be good, but I don't know, I don't think he would be as good or as differentiating from the rest of the pack. Yeah. Um, All right, so we talked a lot about um, uh, all these different topics. So we did. It's uh, we have an hour. We're an hour in, but. We should mention our Bruins and our Senators. Yeah. Um, I'll, I guess I'll go first. We should just do it quickly. Um, yeah. But uh, the Bruins uh, played horribly against the uh, Stars. They played horribly against the Capitals. Um, speaking of Ovechkin, he had a crazy goal against the, the Bruins. I like I just couldn't blame Tuca for uh, not making that save. Usually I would, but um, <laughs> not anymore. And then um, the Canadians was the one game where we lost, where I felt like we could have won if it wasn't yeah. for David Krejci. Um, yeah, he cost him that one. Yeah, that was a, that was a very just very that. very that you can't do that, and that's in that situation you can't do that. Can't let tensions get the better of you. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I, going into that game, I was expecting it to be like six-one Canadians, just based on how the how we uh, we were doing this week and how the Canadians were doing th- that week too. I just thought it was just going to be a blowout, and like, I just, I, I almost didn't watch just because of that. And then, um, so I was just happy that like we were actually winning and especially in the form so um and Vitrano got his first career NHL goal out of it too yeah yeah uh that was exciting too I've been loving this Colin Miller guy I I called it last week that he's finally getting a lot of ice time um he's supposed to he, we got him we got Colin Miller in the uh Lucic trade um and he's yeah. like uh he's kind of this um Supposed to be the replacement for the Dougie Hamilton, Boychuk kind of player. And so far, he's been living up to it. He didn't get a point yesterday against the Islanders, but uh, he had a, like a six-game point streak. 
So I've been loving that guy. Um, yeah, of course, I hate I hate the other Miller who plays defense, uh, Kevin Miller. Um, he's you know he's one of those Bruins love these kind of players who are like gritty and can fight and uh, you know do all the hard stuff. Um, but uh, uh, you know he's good for that. But like you just can't play defense at all, and it's just it's baffling to me that Claude Julien gives him that much ice time. It's um, it's it's insane. Now, one of my Facebook friends that I have uh, said that everyone was diving left, right, and center at that Bruins-Habs game. Was it really as bad as he was making it out to be? Were, were, was everyone going down that easy? Well, that's the that's the weird thing about the Bruins and Habs is, like, everyone feels like they, you know, both teams dive all the time. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit it that, yes, the Bruins do embellish somewhat. The Habs do it, too. I feel like every team does it. It's just... Um, more noticeable because the Bruins and the Canadians are two of the most hated teams um, in the league, so they're more noticeable whenever they do something like embellishing like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it was definitely a physical game, um, but like it was, it's like your typical Bruins Habs games. There's always people diving. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's I kind of grown used to it. I don't I didn't even notice it. I was just like, oh yeah, I guess that was a dive, you know. But um, yeah. Um, but speaking of the Habs, uh, your Senators played them this week as well. Well, yeah, they they were, uh, see the thing about the Senators and the way they've been playing, even the week before, they're able to sneak out wins in extra time. But they need to get it done in regulation. Like, even though they eked out a win in Montreal, the first loss of the Habs at the Bell Center this year, it was nice to get that uh, and, you know, kind of tick off the fans a little bit. But then the game after against the Jets, where you have them 2 nothing in the third uh, or late in, the, in late in the second period, you have a 2 nothing lead, you build up that 2 nothing lead, then they make it 2-1, to one. Uh, before the second remission. And then the first few minutes of the second, they tie the game. And you're forced into overtime, then you get into a shootout. You're fortunate to get the extra point in the shootout. And you're able... And, and they won three for three in the shootout as well. And, and that's nice to get. And then in the game against Carolina, they're up two to one. Borvietsky ices the puck with 11 seconds left. Skinner ties the game with four seconds left, and then they lose in overtime. So they're they're great about getting that extra point. And and more often than not, fortunately for them, they're able to get the the two points. But it shouldn't take them as long. They need more definitive wins. They can't be clawing by the skin of their teeth and getting those one-goal wins. They really need to set themselves apart from the pack. As their second in the Atlantic division right now. And although the, the competition is, is very tough, like Buffalo's got 12 points. Yeah. They're maybe second last in the Atlantic. They got 12 points. Ottawa's got like uh, 17, 18, I think. So it's, it, it's, they're playing well. They need to play better though. Yeah. Well, the Atlantic division, I feel like 
any team can win it except for Toronto. I feel like yeah. any team can win it. Yeah, every every it's team that is close. So much because they distance themselves from the pack. Every every yeah. every team is neck and neck. Like Detroit, yeah. and Tampa Bay, and Boston, and Florida are right out there with Ottawa. Yeah, well, I have a feeling. Well, I think the thing about Boston is I think everyone expected them to you know just miss the playoff. I feel like because I feel like we're, we're we can be bad teams, and then we lose to all the good teams. Um, well, except for the Islanders, that was, uh, you, I yeah. would think that 2-1 to one victory kind of salvaged the week somewhat. But that, yeah, no, that, that that was good. That was like a must win because I feel like I would be even more depressed um, uh, if we lost that game. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's still like, I, like that Montreal game, that might be the worst loss in a while for me. Um, just cause I was, just, cause we were this, we were so close it was to right being, there. It was right there. Yeah. The especially table. given our history of it. And it also makes me wonder too, in terms of, cause like rats played unbelievable against the Islanders the day yeah. after. So it does make you wonder what would happen if rats played against the Montreal Canadians. And it almost makes you wonder Maybe this is like actual because Rask hasn't won hasn't won against the Habs in I don't think he's ever beaten the Habs. The Habs have been his kryptonite. For yeah, sure. so it's like so like this is an actual admittance that like the Habs are in Rask's head where like you'd rather have. Well, don't get me wrong, Gustav Gustafsson did uh, played really well against the. Montreal Canadiens, but I wonder if, because Ras did so well against the Islanders, I wonder if he played that well against the, if, and he was starting against the Montreal Canadiens, I think we would have won that game. Um, well, it's, it's, it's odd how some how some people, he could just do very well against, and others, for whatever reason, they seem to be your crypt now. Yeah. Like, like, for the Sens, for example, here, the Ottawa Senators, in Madison Square Garden of late... They have won like eighty to ninety percent of their games over the over their past several visits in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, when they go to Carolina, they're snake bit. Outside of well, last yeah. year's urgent overtime win, they're snake bit. Well, there's... and they lost in overtime in Raleigh uh, on Saturday, and so that's another one in the loss column for Ottawa and Carolina. I, and it's against a team that not too many people are expecting to do well. Yet they right. always seem to have yeah, all no. this number in Carolina. I was about to say it's like it's funny how like you. I mean, not funny. I guess that's not the right word. But it's interesting how it you guys. Odd, yeah, it's 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 interesting that you guys like be good teams like Montreal and Winnipeg, who are you know really good teams, and yeah. then you you know you lost against Carolina, who is you know just in a rebuild, and um, to like Jordan Stahl and Jeff Skinner of all people. So it's like um, it's it feels like bizarro world in that sense. But uh, speaking of like. Uh, like, uh, that kind of, like, teams that just can't beat other teams. It's like, there's a, there's kind of like a... uh Buffalo's another one. Yeah. Leafs can't buy a win in Buffalo. Well, yeah, Boston plays Buffalo bad, too, for some reason. Yeah. But I was going to say that uh, Montreal, Tampa Bay, and Boston have, like, this rock, paper, scissors going on, where Boston yeah. always seems to beat Tampa Bay, um... But they can't beat Montreal, and then Tampa Bay seems to beat Montreal. So it's like this endless cycle um, where, like, 
you know, one team can beat the other team, but not the, you know, the third team. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's like, you know, Buffalo is often a t- tough game for the Bruins as well. Um, yeah, and, and, and you look at, uh, you look at, um, you look at Tampa Bay and, and how they've struggled, like for the Bruins and the Senators from both the standpoint, this is just what they need because yeah. Pilat is going to be out three to five weeks with a lower body injury. Right. So now the rest of the team's going to have to step it up. A uh, Ben Bishop has given up eight goals over his past five games. Doesn't have too many wins to show for it. The last was a one nothing loss. Uh, Tampa Bay's offense has scored one goal or less in six of their past eight. Um, against Chicago, St. Louis, Colorado, Boston, Detroit, and Minnesota. The ones against Chicago, St. Louis, and Minnesota, they were shut out in each of those games. So the fact that this team is 7-7-2, I'm talking about Tampa Bay, and before they wake up, if there's an opportunity for the Bruins and Sense to gain some ground on the balls, they should definitely seize the opportunity and take advantage of it. Because yeah. to watch a team like Tampa Bay, who made it to the finals last year, struggle like this to score goals you can't let that fall by the wayside you need to you need to grab the advantage while it's still there yeah well i mean that's easier said than done i just well yeah i mean i feel like both our teams are very uh, inconsistent so um you know it's like either you'd be surprised you know you wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs and you wouldn't be surprised if they just missed the playoffs completely um but yeah, I was actually looking and, at the- and, and and in the Atlantic Division, you look at people outside of Montreal and and Florida. Every single team in the Atlantic Division is below five hundred on home ice, including yeah. our Bruins and Senators. Yeah, and the they Bruins seem to do pretty well on the road. The Bruins haven't even won a home game yet. Um, oh no, they they beat Arizona. Never mind. But. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they've only won one home game this entire uh, this entire season. So I'm actually one two. Both are against Canadian teams. Both came in the yeah. shootout. I actually read some like a fan's response or uh, somewhere that like the reason why our home we haven't the Bruins haven't won a home game is because the fans are just too ups, uh, upset about like just the team. So, like, they boo Tuca at the wrong times, which is stupid. They're saying the crowd is pretty tense. Yeah, yeah, and we're just too tense. We're not, like, cheering, you know, like a yeah. normal home team. Um, and that, how, and how that, that just has an effect on the players. It gets to the players, too. Yeah. You know, when, when there's positive energy, they feel it. When it's negative energy, they feel that, too. Yeah, so it's like, I feel like all the smart fans like me just <laughs> stay at home. And then, like, all the, all the stupid fans are, like, booing uh, Tuca when you shouldn't. Because there's always like there's always been rumors ever since the Bruins missed the playoffs, um, or it looked like it wasn't going to make the make the playoffs. Is that like, oh, we should trade Tuca? You know, we have like we have three goaltenders in our system um, who could play, um, you know, who could be pretty good um, in the coming years. Um, in Malcolm Subban, Jeremy Smith, and Zane McIntyre, but like. Uh, so the idea is that, like, if you trade Tuca, you know, you, you can get something while he's worth it and he can't win the big game and kind of thing. But, like, it's still stupid because it's, like, the reason why we're doing so poorly is because of our defense, not because of Tuca. Um, 
Well, yeah, I think they're seriously undervaluing just how much Chuka Rask means to this team, and they're probably yeah. not going to realize it until they trade him away. Yeah. And they look at the replacement, and they're just like, my God, what have we done? Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, it, it takes a long time for goalies to... Um, to develop, yeah. Yeah, to develop. It took a while for Rask to develop, too. It took yeah. him a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually just looked this up. I didn't realize this, but... Carey Price, Tuka Rask, and Ben Bishop were all in the same draft year, um, which is just yeah. crazy. Oh, and Jonathan Quick was as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's... And both of them weren't immediate NHL stars. Both exactly. of them, you know, they, they, they need to yeah. their stripes and they'll and get Carey, before Carey, they came for themselves in the NHL. And Carey Price had, um, had some criticism when he first started to, so... Um, you know, and oh yeah, and for, I, I remember in 2010 when Halak was playing out of his mind in the playoffs. Yeah. There was a debate as to who should we trade, Carey Price or Yarrow Halak. Yeah, people were they ended up trading Halak. Yeah, people and, and they looked pretty good at the time, but it was neck and yeah, neck. Yeah, people. I, I remember. I remember people being really angry that they traded Yarosov Halak because they didn't think yeah. Carey Price would be good. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I'm actually looking at the schedule right now. The Bruins don't play the Senators till the end of December. Um, yeah, I don't think we. I, I I think if we play Tampa Bay, we play them once. Yeah, uh, uh, that's probably that's probably coming up in a bit. But we we have a we have a major five game homestand coming up that we need to yeah. take advantage. Yeah, the, and, and by we, I'm talking to my Ottawa. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the try not to sound too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the Bruins just have two games this week. They have the Avalanche um, and the Detroit Red Wings, both at home, but um, we'll see. <laughs> and Howard uh, might be lost to a concussion. He took a, a knee to the head late oh, wow. in the Stars game, so it could be interesting to see how long how long he is out. And, and you look at uh, you look at the Montreal Canadiens, and they're and they're playing without Mike uh, without Carey Price, and they're and they're playing very well without Mike Condon. And um, just taking a look at uh, who they have to face. The, the Penguins in Pittsburgh on Wednesday. Then they host Landis Cog in the Avalanche on Saturday. Then they get Vancouver and Arizona, two pleasant Wait, who are we talking about, Montreal? Yeah, I'm talking about Montreal here. Because oh. like, for Boston and Ottawa to gain ground on Montreal, they need to win. The Habs need to lose. So yes. this could be a good strength to do it. So Pittsburgh Wednesday. Landis Cog in the Avs on Saturday. Then they get Vancouver and Arizona, both early season surprises, a home-and-home home with the Islanders, then a visit to MSG, and then a home-and-home home with the Devils team that, after their first 14 games, they're 8-5-1. and one. Wow. And somewhere along the way, they'll probably get Carey Price back. But with yeah. Mike Condon and that, that's going to be some tough cha- uh, That's going to be some tough ta- challenges ahead for, uh, for, for not Mike just uh, Mike Condon, but for the team itself. Yeah, it should be inter- – well, it's, yeah, it's even more like uh, Lundqvist being out. But, yeah, it's – um. Yeah, Lund- Condon looked pretty good. Besides, um, even though when I when I was watching the Bruins, um, I didn't realize he's actually from Massachusetts. Um, so he grew up as a uh, he grew up as a Bruins fan, actually. Uh, but uh, it must be weird playing for Montreal. I guess if you're like a hockey prospect, you don't care who what team you play for. But um, I feel like that would be weird. But um, yeah. Yeah, he he has looked good, and it does make you wonder, like when Carey Price comes back, what's going to happen to Condon? Um, 
I'd imagine he's going to stay there. If, if, like Tukarski's probably going to be sent back down to the minors. What Condon has done, it, I don't know if you looked at the NHL starts of the week. Condon was named the third star of the week yep. this uh, this past week. So he, he's he's playing. He's not playing out of his mind, but he's playing good enough to win. And he's giving his team a chance, and that's what you want out of a goal in a situation like this. Yeah, it's it's true. It's uh, they, they they want stability in front of Price, and they got it right now. It's um, it's like what uh, Talbot did. Uh, yeah, Lundqvist was exactly out. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at the Senators, who they have this week. They have they play Nashville on t- tomorrow. That's a tough test. Or it, or it should be today, I guess, because I'm gonna probably publish this today. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're still listening, I know this is long, <laughs> but uh, and then you play Vancouver on Thursday and yeah. the Rangers on Saturday. Rangers on Saturday, so that's a that's a we're gonna have our hands uh, they're gonna have their hands full for sure. Yeah. Um, and and they 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 need to they need to take control and they can't let their foot off the gas. They need more complete performances, not one of those spurts where they where they give up the progress that they worked so hard to get. And if they can get some wins and do it in regulation, and they continue to gain momentum, this team's gonna be very tough to stop. But at, the, at this rate, they'll probably take any one they can get, any points that they can get. But somewhere along the road, you need to really separate yourself from the pack. And I think uh, that's what's holding them back from making that next step, is separating themselves from the pack. And they, that's the one thing they haven't done yet this year. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's a good opportunity. You have a good point with Carey Price out, Andre Palat. It's a good opportunity for both the Bruins and the Senators to actually take advantage of of that. Yeah, because um, you never know how down the line, once the end of the season comes, you know how big those early points could have been. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so uh, I think that's it. Um, I know this is pretty long already, but um, yeah, it's it's been our smoothest podcast so far. We only had one <laughs> hiccup, um, but uh, yeah. Until next time, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll see you on Episode 8 of the Lace Em Up Podcast.